0: Greetings sci-fi universe, Owen Cotter here. Join me, your host, as we discuss all things geek chic and out of this world on Sci-Fiction Radio, your galactic transmission portal to all things science fiction and beyond. Welcome to Sci-Fiction Radio. On today's show we have actor Bill Blair. Sit tight while he joins the show shortly. Bill, you there? Yep. How are you doing, buddy? Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. It's fun to be here.
0: Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Uh, I was I was uh, going over some of your stuff. Now, for the listeners, can you introduce yourself and tell everybody what it is you do in the entertainment
1: world? Uh, how long do we have?
0: <laughs> uh, i got about 30 minutes.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I I think I can do the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> uh my name's my name is Bill Blair and I am an actor, an entertainer, all around performer, but uh I've actually specialized and what people would know me from in the science fiction uh industry and in fan uh fandom itself is mm-hmm. from such shows as Alien Nation, Babylon Five, the Star Trek T V franchise, uh Charmed, uh geez, Sliders. Uh, Resident Evil, uh, it just, you know, the list goes on and on. And what that has accomplished for me uh, since the early 90s is to be invited and now listed as of 2011 as the Guinness World Record holder for the most special effect makeup characters portrayed in a career. Wow,
0: that's awesome, man. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Gee, um, that's, Can that, you that's tell that's everyone about story. how that came about?
1: Uh, how the world record came about?
0: Yeah, like how was that how did you how was that and like what was it like being a part of something like that? Um
1: well if I understand you right, um uh, a lot of people had always asked me how many I had done and I I'd, I'd never really added them up, but I do know I was spending a lot of time in the makeup chair and a, on a lot of days on, on different shows. And mm-hmm. At one of the conventions I was attending in Minnesota, uh, a fan came up with this banner, big banner, and he asked me to sign it and underneath list as many of the characters as I could recall that I had done on Star Trek and Babylon 5. I made started two columns. And I got down to the bottom of the banner and ran out of space. I was even surprising myself how many I started to remember. So a few years later... Uh, another gentleman had said, "Do you have any idea how many number how many you have done? Uh, you know, you've probably done more than anybody else." And I said, "Well, I don't know. I mean, those Universal monsters, and um, you know, there's people that I've worked with on Star Trek and everything. Have done an awful lot of them as well." I said, "But I, let me see. I, I'll start adding them up." And at one point, I went online and uh, through other research to look up people like Lugosi and Karloff and all these universal monsters and from other shows that I was familiar with to see if I could find anything. And going back, you know, literally to the days of uh, Adam's family and the monsters and uh, Planet um, Plan 9 from outer space and all all the science fiction stuff I could come up with and see what I could find. And I didn't find anything so I, fi- I finally located the Guinness World Record website and I clicked huh. on a little button that said make an inquiry that's what they say over the across the pond they say make an inquiry so huh. uh, I sent them a note and just said I've been you know doing this and here's my website I was wondering huh. if you have any record any listing for people like Karloff and ghost and these universal monsters or people that have done this type of thing and how many And within a few weeks, I got an email back that says, no, we don't have a category like that. We looked at your website. Would you please submit? We'd love to have it. That was their basic response. And that's how it actually came about. It took me four years of part-time work while I was still working Hmm. on shows, but it took me four long years to compile all the records that they asked for for verification, assemble all of that with both video clips as well as Still photos from the episodes uh, of every show that I could come up with and find. Plus, I'm fortunate. I'm a pretty good record keeper, and actually was fortunate enough to have all of my uh, pay records from all the shows that I'd worked on since the late '80s. And I used those as a map, and went started going back through and traced everything that I could. And when it was all Mm -hmm. said and done, as far as actual different characters, now this is not different makeups, in other words, there's more than one Klingon character, more than one Cardassian character, more than one type of Minbari or Narn from Babylon 5. Mm -hmm. So I I went through, and when I was all done and I weeded out all the repeats and everything, I came up with a number that they approved of 202.
0: Wow. That is amazing. Uh,
1: and, um, yeah, fortunately, I have no allergies to the the latex and the glue. I'm not claustrophobic, uh, which are three major uh, requirements for doing this kind of work. You cannot be claustrophobic, you cannot have allergies to the latex and the adhesives that they use, and even for that matter, the removers, so that it can come mm-hmm. off. I mean, I've watched people take uh, these prosthetics off <coughs> way too quickly and damage their skin. Um, oh, wow. I was at a convention. One, I was even at a convention one time, um, oddly enough, also in Minnesota, I believe it was, and somebody asked me about what kind of adhesive, what kind of glue we use to hold the prosthetics on, and then what do we use to get it off because, you know, he was always having such a hard time getting his back off, and so it, it kind of begged the question, well, what are you using to put it on with? And mm-hmm. his answer was super glue. Oh, wow. I said, well, that's why you're having a hard time take it, taking it off. That super glue is not supposed to come off of skin. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, so, that's right. Uh, I, I immediately advised them that, no, we use very high-quality professional medical adhesives to apply the prosthetics and then also high-quality uh, removers designed specifically for breaking down those adhesives and if you do it right, and for those that are listening that like costuming and, and like, you know, putting the masks on and everything like that, if you do it right, it's like getting a daily facial. You'll be like <laughs> me. You'll be a senior citizen and still look like you're 30. Wow. You don't need Botox, don't need any those lifestyle lifts or anything like that. You know, save your money. Just <laughs> put on makeup every day and take it off. That's, and have fun doing it. <laughs> drive, down, that, drive down the road sometime looking like a Klingon. Look at all the stares you'll get.
0: nice you've played in a ton of science fiction series over the years out of all the various characters I'm just curious which is your favorite that you've portrayed and also as a follow up what sci-fi shows were the most fun for you as an actor to work on
1: alright first part of that question I'm going to use it as the most memorable is that okay
0: oh that's perfect most
1: memorable Mm -hmm. memorable makeup character that I've ever done Mm -hmm. oddly enough it's not from Star Trek Babylon 5 or any of the science fiction shows on television or in movies. It was the fact that I got to portray Frankenstein's Mm. monster, a classic universal monster that I thought was absolutely a thrill to do um, and have it done professionally for a short film that was done with our Mistress of the Darkness, Elvira, Mm. um, as a pre-show for the attractions at Halloween at like Six Flags and Knott's Berry Farm and stuff for uh-huh. her um for her for her stuff that they use as the feature. And in this was not my I was Frankenstein's monster, another friend of mine was Dracula and another friend of mine from all from Star Trek and Babylon five played the Wolfman uh-huh. and we had an absolute blast for two and a half days shooting this little four and a half minute video. And uh-huh. uh but but the most memorable part of getting to play Frankenstein's monster, our stylist actually worked at Universal Studios and had permission and brought for me to wear the exact costume that Fred Gwynn had worn during the Munster series of the 1960s.
0: No way. Wow.
1: Yeah. I was getting to wear a really great piece of history. Um, and I understand now why also he was so hot. That that, sucker, that that costume probably weighed almost as much as I did after you put all the padding and the <laughs> boots and everything else on. Um, but that's that's made that the absolute most memorable character that I've ever done in makeup, just because of wearing that costume. Mm-hmm. Lots of uh, Yeah, as far as the actual shows go, um, I haven't come across one that I haven't enjoyed working on um, I have a real passion, of course, for Star Trek, having watched it growing up in the 60s. Um, and at mm-hmm. that time, of course, as a child, never even thought that, hey, I'd be in Hollywood and actually working on that show and working next to some of these great actors of all time in science fiction, mm-hmm. uh, let alone appearing side by side with them at these uh, conventions where people come out and get a chance to meet us. Uh, mm-hmm. And so... I have my reasons, really, for loving to work on that franchise. Um, the makeup artists that I got to meet and know, absolutely, some of the best in the industry. Uh, they always took really good care of us. Crew was always, you know, very respectful of those of us that you know wore this makeup for hours and hours and hours on end, and you know didn't complain. Um, mm-hmm. that's another requirement by the way if you're going to do this you know you can't complain when you're doing it nobody forced you into right. it right, <laughs> right. Um, And but I love Babylon 5 equally because it was like mm-hmm. a family um, Star Trek was done on the Paramount lot of course and the mm-hmm. stages wardrobe makeup hair production offices were spread all over the Paramount lot whereas with mm-hmm. Babylon 5 we were in a old converted warehouse that had been turned into sound stages. Our lunch area, um, our wardrobe department, makeup and hair trailers, cast trailers, I and mean, were right there in the back parking lot. So we all just it was like a family. We we're constantly interacting with each other and all had a chance to get to know one another and it was it was so much fun. You know, um in the we were all getting made up basically in the same trailers whereas on Paramount Lot the, the principal actors Get made up in one area, and all the feature in the background, and everybody else gets done up in another area. Uh, so there's uh, sometimes there's just absolutely no interaction. I've probably had uh-huh. the most fun over the years with Star Trek in the fact of going to the conventions. And uh-huh. in the early in the early days of my going to the conventions, I would walk up to people like Armin Sherman or um, uh, Walt, well, not Walter Kini, but um, George Takei. I'd walk up mm-hmm. to uh, Gates McFadden from Next Generation or Marina Sirtis or Denise Crosby, any of these people that I had worked with on Star Trek, and I'd start talking to them and, and, and talking about the show, and you could just see the curious look in their eyes about who is this and how does he know me so well. And then I, when I would finally introduce myself, they wow. would put two and two together because they had never seen me out of makeup. Wow because we get because we get done up in different areas babylon 5 mm. it was like family we all knew each other we get made up together we all know who each other was it was it was mm. just a whole whole different atmosphere so i i never want to uh s- separate those two or say one was more memorable than the other they both had their equal qualities of why i loved being there mm. that's awesome yeah. man
0: You've done a, wor- a lot of work on a great deal of the Star Trek series, I believe. Uh, as, as a note, I believe you played a commander, if I'm right, in the uh, Blood and Fire that was uh, for mm-hmm. Star Trek Phase Two by David Gerald.
1: Right, uh, that's correct. Um, outside of the three uh, major franchises on television of Deep Space right. Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, I also guest starred alongside Denise Crosby in a mm-hmm. two-part episode of uh, Star Trek Phase Two, which was originally known as New Voyages, and then they switched it over to Phase Two. Right. Um, as Commander um uh, Um in a story where, you know, we have violated uh a quarantine area. Uh sorry <laughs> folks, no spoilers. Go to the internet, you can watch it for free. <laughs> um I'm gonna give you away you know right. uh but it's it, it's a a very intriguing episode. And yes it was written and directed by David Gerald. Now some of the listeners aren't going to know that name unless they're true hardcore fans. Oh, I know. But the David Gerald. With tribbles, man. Yep. David David Gerald wrote the original <laughs> episode, "The Trouble with Tribbles." He was also right. one of the staff writers, worked right alongside D.C. Fontana. Um, mm. He's been doing a lot more with Star Trek: Phase Two and directing and now producing and very involved with them. And mm. he was just yeah, a joy to work with. Uh, a wonderful man and. You know, I I was very proud that he asked me personally if I would come in and, and do that role for them. What also huh. made it interesting, two days before I left to fly to New York to do that, um, the producer, the other producer, um, called me up and uh, also asked me if I could do the special effects makeup for them because the guy they had just bailed out on them at the last oh, wow. minute. And, and we were going to be doing all these special... major. Uh, special effect makeup scenes where people are are injured and um you know burned whatever you want to call it without my giving anything away and so I had actually after all these years of course, had only done minor makeup on myself uh for huh. special effect for Halloween and things, but through osmosis or whatever other process it was on um on set and sitting in the chair for all those hours uh I said. If if this is what you need, you know, sure. I know all the procedures and everything. Let's give it a shot. So I sent my assistant out the day I was on set. So I sent my assistant to the store, and um, they knew me, and he picked up an entire list of things I would need to take with me because, of course, I had no, I did not have my own makeup kit at that time. And hmm. um, I went up there, and yes, um, we uh, we pulled it off over two and a half days. Um, you know taught these people how they had to be if they were going to be in makeup they couldn't come at the at the cruise call time they had to come in two hours before that so I'd have time to do everybody plus I trained an assistant while I was there too to help me Um, so it was real it was a real adventure and I guess in some ways uh, a moment for me too and an an unexpected moment that there was some um, interviews going on around set while we were shooting this and Mm -hmm. somehow in this magazine article, I was listed not as an actor that also does makeup, but I was listed as an Academy Award-winning makeup artist who also happens to be an actor. <laughs> wow. So I thought, wow, this is very interesting, you know, that here it is my first time trying to do something like this on, on this type of a scale. And somehow they got things crossed that I was there as an actor who just happened to do the makeup for them for my from my experience of doing this, as opposed to being a makeup artist, they just recruited to say, Will you play this part for us. So well, things get well, twisted around, but the whole point is, it's just an absolute joy being on these sets and uh, and learning all the different ins and outs. And, you know, with, dozens, with a dozen years or more at that time of sitting in the makeup chair, yeah, I, I fortunately picked up a few tips and tricks from the from the makeup artists that I have been working with. And, of course, at the conventions that I go to, if any of your listeners are, are inclined to go to conventions, visit my website, which is alienactor.com, and you can look at my upcoming appearances and see where I'm going to come to your area. A lot of times they will book a makeup artist with me, and we will do a live demonstration at these conventions where you can actually see how I'm transformed, transformed from this human form that I'm in now, to one of these aliens or something else that we make up specifically for that convention and then get chances to have photos and walk around. We have a good time and then see Mm -hmm. how to take it off properly. And we do all of that in one Saturday afternoon program. And a lot of people really enjoy that. That's very
0: cool. Wow. Wow. Let's talk about uh, Babylon five for a second. Okay. That was a, A groundbreaking series, I believe some of the first use of CGI, like Star Trek, it uh, also dealt with very deep issues and morals. Now, having appeared in most of those episodes, I was just curious, what is it like to be, you know, to be a part of something that dealt with those kind of issues? I didn't have a follow-up question after that.
1: Um, Anytime that you touch on sensitive issues, Mm -hmm. issues that, you know, apply today that it's like, do we have any reason to think that they would go away in the future? It makes us think more now about where we could end up. I remember on other shows watching you know where they would touch on the storylines what would ha- What happens if we don't take care of our groundwater? What happens if we don't watch for our drinking water? Well, it's right. actually come true. Most people get their water from a bottle now instead of out of the faucet. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing with you know different races and people from different worlds. It's like being from the different countries. We have constant going on on planet Earth, the the differences in cultures and everything. Well, that's going to go on out in space too as people learn to get along and and try to understand each other as opposed to, you know, I'm better than you or you're going to do things my way. Uh, And and even on, on board the station, you know, we had, you know, those people that were the ambassadors and those that had better wealth, and then we had the down below where... You saw uh-huh. the, you know, the CD bars and the fights that go on just like we do today. It was just, this is what people can relate to. And it, it, it made people, it drew people into the story more because it is something they could relate to that's happening now, you know, uh-huh. that's like, wow, you know, I don't want to end up like this, you know, I don't want our society to end up like this 500 years from now. Right. So well, I, I totally it, good, was, yeah, it was it yeah. was really wonderful and, and I was very happy at, when I found out too early on that, that uh, Mr. Straczynski had taken back and dr- started drawing up all the scripts himself rather than having a team of, of, of writers. And right. uh, it, it helped keep the storyline very, very concise and straightforward um, and had a lot of continuity. And it was great that, you know, certain things like with, you know, um, Commander Sinclair, you know, after the first season going away, and then all of a sudden he shows up as Valen. You know, in the fourth season, it's it's like, wow, you know, this truly is a novel. This is a whole story. You want to watch it from the beginning, and you do not want to miss anything all the way through because everything has a point to it, and you're going to want to know, you know, what, what the reason for that was. Why is he showing right. up here after all this time? And it's just so intriguing, and I know there's a lot of people right now that – um would love to actually see a Babylon uh, Five movie, even though sadly we've lost several of our original cast members, and it was a shame right. the Crusade that followed it uh, just couldn't take off the way it was hoped to. Um, right. But Babylon Five, you're right, it was very very groundbreaking in terms of some of the CGI work. It was not a matter of you know flying all over the cosmos, but an actual place in space that you know, was a whole society all of its own, its own, you know, government and had to to become its own government when, of course, you know, factions on Earth said, you're going to do it our way, and they said, no, we're not (laughs) because we don't want you, you know, we don't want you interfering. You know, we're doing great up here uh, kind of thing. Uh, We don't need to be invaded as it was, and it created some great conflict, and, of course, you always have to have that other thing like we had with the shadows going on to, you know... Create more of the conflict and the outside races and the mystery and the suspense, and it was just so full of that every episode, um, and so I my, myself too, I would I would love to see a, a full feature length film based on Babylon Five. The TV movies that we did um, in between and after the last season were great, and they told more of the story, even from the very beginnings of uh, what Babylon Five became but i think you know something on the big screen would just be fantastic and of course one of the one of the groundbreaking things i don't know if the people listening would, were aware of this too much but all of the music um came from an orchestra in germany and it was i believe it was and it all had to be you know digitally done and piped over and uh, it it was just the the music for the show was just so absolutely phenomenal um and having been a musician in earlier in my life, I have a, a real affection for, for quality music, and it, it added so much to the show, and the fact they went out of the country to, to get this particular orchestra and, and have it all, pardon the pun, orchestrated to fit the show and be on time and delivered, it was it was an incredible feat in my mind, and I was just so very, very impressed.
0: Yeah, yeah it's such a cool show. I, just, I was blown away when I first saw it. Now, yeah. pertaining to Babylon again, Bruce Boxleitner played the commander of the, for most of the show. However, you mentioned uh, Jeffrey Sinclair. In season one, they had a different actor, which was uh, Michael O'Hare. Uh, just Correct. curious, having been in season one your, yourself, did you get to work much with like, Michael O'Hare? And if so, uh, how was that like and what was that like?
1: Um, Michael was very, very personable, wonderful mm-hmm. to be around. Um uh, you know had the you know just portrayed that particular character of the commander uh so well you know had the control you know of the story and of the of the of the um of the whole scenario of the show um mm-hmm. but and when when Bruce came in as Sheridan, it was not trying to recreate um O'Hare's character. it was not right. like we were gonna replace him with a clone. He came in, he made the part his own, they wrote the part for him uh, and made it, you know, to help him make the character what it was. Mm -hmm. I don't think either actor could have played the other character's uh, role. Like uh, Jeff could not have played Bruce's uh, Sheridan, you know, the way Bruce does and, and vice versa. Uh, they were their own actors. The characters were them, and so yeah, there was a bit of a change. There was a different feel on set and in the scenes with Bruce over Jeffrey, but equally as quality characters, and you know that really enhanced the story.
0: Yeah, I've always I've always liked both the characters, and of course Bruce for everybody in sci-fi, and he was originally the most notable for that in Tron. And, Correct. Uh, it, He's always been a a role model of mine. You know, just a cool, cool guy, and yeah, both those characters are very cool, just very cool. Now, about Star Trek, going back to Star Trek, you know, based on the Roddenberry philosophy, you know, Trek's known not for being one of the best shows, but just in general for giving everyone hope, you know, hope for a peace in the future where mankind can still evolve, no religion yet spiritual evolution can be possible and stuff. Just curious, what are your thoughts on this philosophy? The Rosenberg philosophy. And what do you think we as a people in general can do to achieve this vision?
1: Well, we're already doing some of that just with the technology as everybody is quite aware of the fact that, you know, the original um flip phones mm-hmm. for cell phones resembled, you know, the communicators so much. And right. uh lasers, lasers that are now so popular even though they're they're not powerful, you know, we're not making them for, for weapons, but for technology and um, and science. So a lot of that, you know, that vision on the technological side has really come through. The most classic, of course, the kiss between Kirk and Uhura, you know, this interracial stuff is becoming far more accepted now in our society than it ever was in the past um, as as also going towards, you know, the uh, recognition in every state of gay marriages and everything. So... Right. Well, a lot of people thought, you know, Roddenberry's vision was so idealistic. Um, it also was, you know, very, you know, uh and that, you know, he knew and he felt this is the way it was going to go is in some ways our own modern day prophet. Um, but mm-hmm. also, and I'm going to, and I'm going to take the opportunity to jump back to Babylon five because okay. even with Babylon five, we're now, you know, and going back even to the Jetsons we're now having communications devices that go on the back of our hands or like wristwatches. Right. uh, So the technological side, and the reason for all of this is both shows had very close ties to NASA and jet propulsion uh, industries and the top scientists. I mean, we had Stephen Hawking as a guest star on a couple of different Star Trek episodes that I remember. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was there one time, I was honored to be on set of Deep Space Nine when when Stephen came to visit one day. Oh, wow. uh, It's just, you know, and I know there's kind of a a little bit of a joke running around recently, but even Stephen Hawking himself, kids about Mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, he's working on warp drive, you know, the concepts, the theories of it and everything. Right. Uh, and, And now we find out, I just saw on the Internet recently, that if it's NASA or the government or who, are actually working on an extreme early prototype of something that would resemble warp Drive. And I'm thinking, you know, none of this would right. happen if it wasn't for Gene Roddenberry, if it wasn't for Babylon 5, you know, coming up with, with some of the concepts that they have, not only an mm-hmm. interpersonal, you know, on a station, but, you know, multicultural, and the just the adventure of outer space. And and I don't want to discount Stargate either. I mean they had some great stuff going through. Yeah. I'm i I'm really, you know, feel amiss that I did not have the opportunity to work on that series. Uh but I'm not mm-hmm. Canadian, so I didn't get to go up there. Uh, <laughs> but I've met Amanda Tapping and a couple of the others and just mm-hmm. talking to them, um, I am such in awe of what they were able to accomplish in the storylines and some of those things that you know, eventually in somebody else's lifetime, not mine, they will see the beginnings of people that are truly science fiction fans and believe in the future and want science fiction to become science fact, they do their research and they are forethinkers and they take some of the ideas that are being thought of now and they refine them into logical uh, prototypes of, call it a dream vision, but dreams do come true.
0: Right, totally, man, totally. I totally agree with you on that. Well, we have a little bit of time left. Um, I know you've given out your website. Are there any other websites or any other information you'd like to give out to people to find out more about your various projects and upcoming appearances? Um, I am, you
1: know, I'm not that hard to find on the Internet, I I will be the first to say. If people really want to Mm -hmm. learn about me, if they will just go to a a search engine like Google um, Mm -hmm. and type in Bill Blair Hollywood. I used to be able to just type in Bill Blair, but after all that stuff that went on in Toronto, that police chief whose name is Bill Blair is getting all the attention now, and he can have that kind of attention. I don't want it. (laughs) So instead of just Bill Blair, you now have to type Bill Blair Hollywood. I'll be the first dozen or so results that come up. You can find my website, my primary website, which is alienactor.com. If you want to see a lot of the different shows that I've worked on over my career, You can also find me on IMDB, the Internet Movie Database, and a a resume of all sorts of shows that I've been working on. I most recently just shot an episode of ABC's Mistresses, obviously not in makeup. Uh, You'll actually get to see The Real Me, and that'll be on, I'm guessing, sometime in August. Um, Of course, I was in Argo. If you have not had a chance to see Argo, and based on the ratings and the numbers... There might be a few people that haven't seen it. Uh, but if you have seen it, go back and watch it again. You will spot me as the big, silver, blue-eyed robot, basically the Argo-Humanoid oh, wow. robot in the fake movie. And uh, that was me. And um, you can contact me. I, I love, I'm love. i on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, my fan club, the Bill, the ex, uh, exclusive Bill Blair fan club. You can find it at BillBlairFanClub.com. There's a Facebook page for Bill Blair, fan the Bill Bill Blair fan page where I'm getting tongue-tied. It's just, uh, there's all sorts of information. I love to hear from the fans, Uh, love to meet everybody I can at the conventions. If if you go to my website, if I'm coming to your area, I'll be in Ohio later this year. I'm going to be in Germany twice again later this year. Uh, And I'll be in uh, North Carolina later this year as well. Come out and see me. I'd love to meet you. Um, we'll chat, and we'll have a good old time. The conventions are a lot of fun.
0: Awesome, man. Well, Bill, it was, a, Bill, it was a great having you on the show, and I just want to wish you the best on all your, your projects, and take care, my friend.
1: Thank you so very much, and thank you for everybody that's been listening.
0: My pleasure, man. Bye-bye.
1: All righty.